my, the, myself and the rest of your staff were at a, a leadership conference all day Thursday, all day Friday. Perhaps you saw a picture of us on Facebook. Um, it was an incredible time. Not only did we learn a lot from those awesome speakers, but there was just something very special uh, about all of us sitting at that round table and sharing thoughts and challenges and, and a meal together that was, that was, well, it was just like unifying, wasn't it, Ira? Okay, which is very appropriate for the time that we're going to share this morning. I want to share out of Psalm 133. And if you take a moment to find it in your Bible or uh, on your smartphone, it's, it's not very long. It won't take us long to share this scripture together. Longer to find it, probably than to read it. And I've entitled this message, The Wonder of Unity. The Wonder of Unity. So let's see Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. It is as if, it is, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. The wonder of unity. And, and I'm using that phrase, the wonder, as, as something that is a sense of awe and beauty. Um, like the awe of being and seeing the Grand Canyon. The beauty of, of a child being born. It's a, it's a wonder. When this phrase is used, when the first verse uh, in unity is used. In Genesis, it kind of refers to relatives and extended tribe members all gathered together as an extended family in one area to defend the family interest and ensure the future. Well, they were very nomadic. They were very tribal. That makes sense. The families and the tribes would, would live together in an area, extended family in one area, and part of the reasons was to, to defend the family interest and to ensure its future. It was more than just, it's great to be together. There, there was responsibility that was associated with dwelling together, not simply a peaceful settlement. The psalmist here seems to be drawing on the idea of these relatives who have this shared uh, environment under a paternal, because they were a very patriarchal community, but they shared common interest and they met common needs. How great it is when the family, when the brothers, when the tribe is together and unified. Not only do we take care of each other and ensure the future, but we, we have the joy of sharing common interests and common needs. And it's, it's a unity that's greater than just a material. It's a spiritual unity. And it's going to be demonstrated as they make their pilgrimage from wherever it is they might be settled as a family to Jerusalem, to Zion. To worship there. And the psalmist says, oh, it is so pleasant, the harmony, when people are brought together, not beyond just a common relationship and a pact, but they share a spiritual, a spiritual journey together to Zion to worship. Psalm 133 is a pilgrim psalm. Perhaps in your Bible it says, a song of ascents. That's because there are a number of them that talk about when we're ascending when we're making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. They enjoy this incredible sense of unity as they travel together, 
and they were going to Zion, to Jerusalem, for the main purpose of worshiping the one God, the Lord, in the holy city. They celebrated their common heritage, the unity of the covenant, and then they worshiped together, and God poured down his blessings upon them as individuals and families and as a nation. In a sense, not only was the blessing they received from God part of this, but just the blessing of sharing together as a unified family. David gives us two similes to help us perhaps understand what this might be like. He says, it's like, it's like oil being poured over the priest's head. Psalm, I mean, Exodus 30 gives a very distinct formula. Okay, all you essential oils people, write this down, okay? Yeah, Exodus 30 gives a very specific formula for, for putting together anointing oil. And then this oil is brought, and Aaron represents all of the priests, and, and the anointing oil was poured, not, not just kind of poured over their heads, enough so that it ran down over his head, got into his beard and down to the collar. And this symbolized so many things. It was God saying, let there be a blessing on the priesthood and on the priest. It was, let there be a sanctification. They are set aside for a specific purpose. They, are, they have a special relationship with me and I pour blessing on them. So the unity of the people was a blessing that came down from heaven and it was all-encompassing, just like the oil that came down on Aaron's head. He says it's also, maybe this would make more sense to some people, says it's also like the dew from Mount Hermon. Now, it's not Mount Hernan. Come on, Hernan, okay. Mount Hermon is a 9,000-foot mountain in the far north of the land, known for its moist air, the rain, the, the abundance of moisture, the snow even in the colder season. And, and the benefit of all this was that it was incredibly lush and green and beautiful. My wife and I just returned recently from a trip to Seattle. It's an area that rains all the time, except for the one week of summer that we happen to catch. But it's a lush land, and it's a green land, and it's a beautiful, alive land. And, and David says, this, this is what it's like. It's like this dew that, that descends on Mount Hermon and makes it lush and green and vibrant. It's, it's like it's falling on Zion. And again, it's a blessing from above, and it covers everything. The blessing of God brings a delightful and enriching unity to his people. And where there is unity, God bestows blessings, life, and all its common joys. Psalm 133. Now here's, I'm going to rearrange the words a little bit. From the wonder of it all to, you know, the, the wonder of unity to it's a wonder there's any unity. It's a wonder that there's any unity. Today we are sharing the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, on the day that we are celebrating, he and his 12 disciples, those men who had followed him day and night for three years, this was their last Passover meal, the first Lord's Supper. And he's got them all in the room together. Did it ever occur to you that these 12 men probably didn't all like each other? I mean, picking 12 men at random, you know, putting them all and say, you're a group, travel. D did they like each other? 
I don't know. Surely they had some meaningful, they had some memorable, they probably even had some fun times together with Jesus. But, but consider the makeup of this group. It, it was full of big egos. There were power struggles. There was incredible jealousies. Within the group were three sets of brothers. That in itself is probably a problem. If you, my, my, I have a brother, he's a younger brother, I got a chance to share some time with him in Seattle this week. We are much more civil than we were when we were younger. Mom and dad in the day when there was only one vehicle to go grocery shopping would, you know, they'd probably get arrested today for this, but they would take us to Safeway, that was the store. They would say, now we'll be 30 minutes, you two behave. They'd get out, lock the doors, and leave us there until they got done grocery shopping. Remember, it's the Northwest. There's no threat of getting hot. And I made it my point to just beat the tar out of my brother (laughs) and threaten him that if you say anything when mom and dad get back, you're going to get it worse when we get home. Three sets of brothers. Peter and Andrew, James and John, James and Thaddeus. An inner circle. If you look throughout the scripture, you'll see an inner circle. Peter, James, and John that just kind of got to do some special stuff that not everybody else got to do. I'm sure that made for some tension. How come they get to do that? Yeah. Matthew. Oh, my goodness. Matthew, one of the hated tax collectors. A Jew, but a Jew who had, in the opinion of the nation had gone turncoat and was collecting taxes from his brothers. And so you get the fishermen like Peter and Andrew who are just scraping by but have to pay taxes and and they have to pay taxes to Matthew. And now Peter and Andrew and Matthew are in the group. Jesus, what were you thinking? Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot was part of the group. He, he was all about, we're going to take back our country. We're going to reclaim Jerusalem. The Jews will rise again. Make Israel great again. <laughs> it, it was part of his mindset that we're going to do this any way we have to. Imagine how he thought when Jesus picked him and Jesus was talking about the kingdom is coming. He's going, yes! Of course, there's Judas the betrayer. Who knows what was going through his mind the entire three years. And, and, and Thomas the doubter, three years, three years of experiencing listening to Jesus, and yet at the very end he says, nope, nope, even though he said it, I won't believe it until I could t-. There they are. There they are, the 12 guys. I, you know, I think when Peter asked Jesus, remember he asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Of course, Jesus said 70 times 7, but who was Peter talking about? Probably Andrew, or at least someone in that group, right? Think about it. No, we all go, how many times, Jesus, shall I forgive my brother? I don't think it was that profound. I think he's saying, my brother stinks. How many times I got to forgive him? Because that's the dynamic of the group. Even, Even during the Passover meal, 
Jesus had washed their feet. After the first communion, the sharing of the bread and the wine, then Jesus says, kind of offhandedly, well, one of you is going to betray me. And Luke records that they immediately begin to question among themselves which of them it might be that would do such a thing. Now, I don't think it was that big internal reflection. Is it me? No, I'll bet you this is how it sounded. I bet you it was, Brent, Brent, do you think it's Craig? You know how Craig is. It's probably Craig. Isn't that what they were doing? Sure, sure it was. Jesus settles that one down, and Luke goes on to say, you know, and worse yet, there was a dispute among them. Oh, we had crossed this road before, but now we've just shared the Lord's Supper, you know, and there's a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. This group of men, they were confused, they were egotistical, they were full of jealousies, they did not know what lie ahead, they were unsettled about what Jesus was saying, he spoke of going places they could not go, he predicted that they would all abandon him, and one of them would deny him, another would betray him, while he spoke as if he was going to die. That had to have been confusing and unsettling. And yet Jesus, and according to John 14, 15, 16, Jesus prays, Father, make this band of crazy men that you've entrusted to me, make them one just as you and I are one. Because Jesus knew it was possible. Jesus knew it had to be that this dysfunctional family of men gathered at this table, arguing about who was the greatest, accusing one another of being the bad guy, they had to become one because the kingdom of God depended upon it. Father, make them one as you and I are one. This morning, you and I gather around the Lord's table. You know, Truth be told, known, you and I, in almost all those ways, are no different than those 12 men. We've got big egos in this room. People who want to be considered the greatest. There's jealousy. We're hampered by doubt. Last Sunday, I, I, I hope I put a rock in your shoe. Remember I said that? I hope that what was shared last Sunday out of Psalm 32 put a rock in your shoe. Uh, I'm starting to be hampered by plantar fancy. Okay, Some fancy word that says the bottom of my heel hurts. And so when I was walking my five miles yesterday, the first mile was like a rock in my shoe. And then it stretched out. The rock in the shoe that I hoped was there would be painful enough this week that you would become aware, I would become aware of our own sin. I preached that on Sunday. Tuesday, we have staff meeting. Staff meeting starts at 9.30, usually lasts an hour. We sat down for staff meeting this Tuesday, and the first hour, 
was consumed with confessing sin and asking forgiveness within those gathered around the table. The rock in our own shoe caused us to do and to need to do that. I, I hope you have experienced this last week, even this morning, something of a similar nature. This is an exciting and dangerous time for Avalon Church. It's exciting because God is doing a new thing. God loves to do new things, and God is doing a new thing at Avalon Church. And it's dangerous because Satan is doing all he can to divide us. And this is a season when we must pursue the blessing of unity. Our nation is in a season of spiritual national unrest. The rhetoric is demeaning, inflammatory, and aggressive. Hatred haunts our streets. The incident in Charlottesville, Virginia. White supremacist, anti-supremacist, beyond all of the all of the things they are talking about. People gathered to protest and counter-protest, and in the middle of it, somebody out of pure hatred intentionally drives a vehicle into the crowd in a narrow street where people cannot escape. And thankfully, only one was killed. Unfortunately, some officers were, police officers were killed later related to the incident. And where did that start? It starts in the heart. Violence, hatred, anger, it starts in the heart. And we've got to guard our heart. We've got to get rid of anger and hatred. And God very specifically tells us how to do that, especially in Ephesians 4. He says, just forgive one another. Now, you weren't in Charlottesville. You didn't drive the car. You're not full. But we all tend that way. We all have a thought at times. We, we retain hatred or bitterness. It, the guy who drove the car didn't start one day feeling good and then all of a sudden decides he's going to kill people. It grew and it grew and it grew in the matter of the heart. We must get rid of all anger and hate by forgiving one another. Do you realize that the church of Jesus Christ is the first institution perhaps the only institution in all of history that is inclusive. All the others are exclusive. You want to be part of my group? You got to be an American. You got to be part of my group? You got to be a man. You want to be part of my group? You got to be this. You want to be part of my group? You got to be that. And Jesus starts a church that says, there is no male or female. There is no Jew and Gentile. There is no slave and free. You are all part of my church. And we go, that'll never work, Jesus. And he goes, and then I want you to be unified. How do we do that? By focusing on me. The nation is a national unrest. Your pastors and elders have disappointed and even offended many of you. With no intention to do so, I know I have hurt some of you. 
Undoubtedly, the elders have disappointed you in some form or fashion, even through this season of transition. Pastor Dale hurt us with the sudden decision. But we need to forgive each other. Because it is sin not to do so. In this season of transition, we are tempted to divide Christ. You go, divide Christ? What are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about a verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there will be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought, the wonder of unity. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? No. No. And we're going, those Corinthians were all messed up. Yes, we are. Because if we do this too during this season of transition, I am of Pastor Jim. I am a No. We're dividing Christ. And it cannot be. These past few months have had many unknowns. Like the disciples that Passover, being the men they were and in the situation they were, like the disciples that Passover, we're tempted to point an accusing figure, finger. We're tempted to get distracted by things that are inappropriate and have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. But they're consuming. We, we are tempted to not take an honest look at ourselves. We are tempted to lose interest and energy. And we are tempted to fear what lies ahead. And you know what you do? You know what people do when they get afraid? They do one of two things. When we give in to fear, we either fight or we run. So when fear occurs, you can feel it sometimes, the fight starts. Or people just disappear. And like the disciples, Jesus says to us gathered in this room this morning, to the family of Avalon Church, take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Pray. And focus on me. I have overcome the world. God is still and ever will be in control. Unity is most important in this season. We can't do this alone. We need each other. More importantly, God doesn't want us to do it alone. And he definitely doesn't want us to do it divided. So, 
we must diligently heed the words of Colossians 3, 12 to 15. You're getting ready. We're getting ready like those 12 men to sit around the table with Jesus. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's you, holy and dearly loved by God, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Gee, Paul, that's a great list. No, that's a mandate from God. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, as symbolized by these communion trays. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And we can get from let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, we were called to peace. And be thankful. Orchestra, would you please step to the stage? Those who are going to be helping with the Lord's Supper, would you please come to the front and sit down? Now we come to the Lord's table. Paul, Paul said, when you come to do this, be patient. When you come to do this, examine yourselves. I hope we've all had an opportunity to do that the last week or maybe even this morning. As diverse as we are, as confused as we are, as messed up as we are, there is one time for sure that we can all be unified. And that is when we come to remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's not about anything you or I did. It's in spite of everything you and I have done. We are united in Jesus Christ. Why don't you pray with me, please? How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I'm 65 years old, God, and I know I can't even hardly dwell in unity in my own physical family at times without you. So, Father, would you let the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, settle upon us in this place as we celebrate and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Gentlemen. Okay. All who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and accepted the gift of forgiveness and eternal life in him are welcome to participate in this time. The gentlemen are going to pass the trays. We would ask that you would take 
a piece of the bread, or the cracker, and, and a cup and hold it so that we can all celebrate together in unity. If this morning you find yourself not in a good place, a little work to be done, a little rock that needs to be taken out of your shoe, it's okay to let it go by. Because when we all get to that place, we want to worship Jesus in unity. Gentlemen, please.